0: welcome to Proofing and Lies. This is a social science podcast about current events and delicious recipes. I'm Elle Rochford, a PhD candidate in sociology at Purdue University.
1: I'm Andrew Shriver. I'm a public defender in Northeast Ohio.
0: Each episode will sift through the flour and the facts, bringing you tasty recipes and interesting topics. Hello, and welcome to Proofing and Lies. This is an extra special two-part episode where we recap some of the best and worst information and misinformation of 2020. So we're going to go through some uh, some of the fun things we did for New Year's. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about some of the less fun things. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a recap of the year. And then we're going to go on a hiatus after these two episode drops. Uh, and that will be the end of our little season one. So um, if you've enjoyed these episodes, please share them with friends. Uh, that's how we get to grow as a podcast. And um, as people. And as people. And we'll keep the baked goods coming uh, into the new year of 2021, uh, where I guess we didn't solve misinformation. I guess we didn't do it this year, guys.
1: Not this year. I have I've hope for this year coming up. it's off to a good start, I think everything's going to be great.
0: We're gonna educate the public until we're out of business. Yeah. Uh, this is actually not a business, just a TM. TM is the opposite of not a business. <laughs> <laughs> I've been too caught up on the Twitter discourse about LLCs.
1: Yes, yeah, make sure to get your LLCs going, get your tax fraud scheme started. New year, new you, uh, new, new indictments. Time. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that will we'll add that to the list of disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, but to start, before we get into uh, some of the not fun things, so for New Year's we did we set ourselves a challenge mm-hmm. where we blocked off from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. and uh, I took the even hours, you took the odd hours. Mm-hmm. Does that how that maps out. Yeah. Uh, and we did a six course progressive meal for New Year's, which was really fun. I think we're going to make it an annual.
1: Yeah, I had a great time.
0: Yeah, so we're going to talk about the first three courses in part one, and we'll talk about the next three courses in part two. So let's see, Andrew, you started us off with yeah. with part or part one, course one.
1: Yeah, so I did a little uh, little crostini with uh, mozzarella and a, like, spicy caper olive oil sauce on there. It was simple. I mean, it's, you know, just crostini, nice bread, a, you know, circle of mozzarella. Uh, and then the sauce was... Capers, red pepper, um, and garlic all sauteed in, in olive oil. You just spooned that bad boy right on the top there. Um, serve those with a pineapple basil cocktail, which was uh, pineapple juice, uh, fresh basil, club soda, and some vodka. You can make it with gin too, if that's your pleasure.
0: Sorry, what was the herb, the basil. herbal element? Basil. Like, like you would make the pesto out of?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's what? Basil. I'll die on this hill.
0: I. This is not something <laughs> I knew about, Andrew, before this very minute, and it's yeah. something off off air I think we're going to investigate further. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. Pineapple and basil uh, is a great combination, which I would never had before, but it was really light and refreshing. It was a good way to start off the meal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the crostinis were super tasty. Um, okay. I... I did not eat capers uh, regularly, or I can't really recall ever eating them before uh, Andrew came into my life. so. Capers are good. Capers are good. Let's,
1: uh, put them in sauces, put them in stuff. Um.
0: Yeah, and then I had course two, and you can find all of these. Uh, it's our highlighted or featured story on our Instagram at Proofing and Lies. So I had the second course, and obviously, great minds think alike because I also did a crustini. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mine was inspired by a half-baked harvest recipe, but I deviated in several places. So I had a crostini with uh, fig jam, and then I whipped ricotta with honey infused with rosemary. So I put honey on the stove with a whole sprig of rosemary in it, and I boiled the honey for a little bit until the rosemary flavor got all soaked in. And then I stripped the rosemary that was in the pot and I put that in the ricotta and whipped the ricotta with the honey cooked herbs. Uh, So the crostinis got topped with the ricotta and then drizzled with the infused honey, which we still have some of. I'm very excited about that. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be good on grilled cheeses. Um, Anyway, and then uh, pomegranate seeds. So it was crostini, fig jam, whipped ricotta, honey, Pomegranate and then I topped yours with prosciutto. Yes. So I think there was a flaw in this, which is too many sweet elements.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean the the prosciutto cut it a little bit, but mm-hmm. it, it still was sort of Um, almost overwhelmingly sweet.
0: Yeah, and and if you're a vegetarian, my hack for the ones that had, like, salty meats on top, mm -hmm. I just put a pinch of sea salt on top Mm -hmm. um, because it serves the same function. It's different flavor, but it cuts the sweet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been good with just one sweet thing. Like, if it had just been the ricotta with the honey, I think that would have been really good. I think the fig jam was maybe too much.
0: When I think, I think... um, the part of the recipe I didn't doctor was the sweet elements. I actually added more savory elements. Mm-hmm. So um, the original recipe had pomegranates, fig jam, and honey on it. And I think I think it was just too much.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think
0: if we maybe had a saltier cheese.
1: Yeah, um, that, might have, that might have worked.
0: But I was really proud of the drink that went with this.
1: Yes, the drink was fantastic.
0: So I have accumulated over the years a bunch of different cocktail books and a bunch of different drink pairings. And so I came across the technique for layering drinks. Um, And and it's really basic. It's just the heavier sugar content of the liquid, the, the lower it'll sit in the glass. So you can build up a layered shot where you get to see each distinct layer. And I was really excited. So I made a rosemary simple syrup. And simple syrup is just water and sugar that you boil down. Um, So you can make your own simple syrup really easily at home. Um, So I make a bunch of different flavored and infused simple syrups for different cocktails because it feels really fancy, but it takes like five minutes. So I made a rosemary simple syrup, and then I layered it with pomegranate juice and then a layer of vodka. So it was a beautiful little Christmas shot, really. It was very nice. I added too much food coloring to the syrup because I wanted you to really see it. Uh, but it was bright green, and then a deep red, and then just clear. And I put it in a little like gold rimmed cup, so it looked really festive. Yeah,
1: no, they were really nice. Right. Um, I liked those a lot.
0: I'll, I would make those again in a heartbeat. Someday when we can have parties again, I will make a tray.
1: <laughs> right. And then mine, that my third course, or well, my second, the third course was uh, a Oprah inspired cocktail pairing uh it was basically jalapeno poppers right cut a jalapeno in half uh it with cream cheese uh some colby jack cheese scallions um and then i put uh bacon in mine um just a nice little classic appetizer uh and then along with that i served a um a vanilla crown mule which is just basically it's a, a moscow mule but with um, crown vanilla instead of vodka, and then a couple of dashes of bitters. So it had a, a nice, like almost carameliness to it. I feel like it was
0: so good. I've made him. I've requested that he makes me multiple of those since the holiday weekend because I I woke up the next day not hungover but thinking about that.
1: no, <laughs> yeah, it was it was really good. I mean, we cleaned out. Um, we need to get more ginger beer because we drank all of the ginger beer that we had making more of these. Um, so it was a success. I don't know if it went as well with the jalapenos as Oprah wanted me to believe. Um, yeah, I had some questions
0: for Oprah about that.
1: Yeah. I think it works. It, I think it worked with the bacon in it. I think that kind of tied it together. Cause like a bacon and a whiskey is, is kind of a classic.
0: Well, pairing, think but, the idea was to like balance the different flavors. It was supposed to be like opposites, right? Like sweet and spicy and, yeah smoky or something
1: yeah i think that the the bacon lended a smokiness to mine that i think made it work more um but uh you know still they were i mean you can't make a bad jalapeno popper really
0: no i mean they were they were delicious i ate many many poppers
1: yeah yeah i just don't think they like went with the drink the way that that oprah would like you to believe but uh still i thought a pretty solid pairing
0: oh okay so that's the the fun bit and i highly encourage you to number one try this with with your friends and family because it was really fun i think we're going to plan more of these in the future yeah i had a blast um well and i i've been planning my stuff for like weeks so it was like the anticipation of doing it yeah, yeah um, it was really cool and it was a fun way, like, it didn't feel like we were being deprived of New Year's parties because we had this, like, elaborate activity set up. Yeah. So it made me feel less like we're living in isolation.
1: Right. Yes, that was awesome. Because we were, yeah, we basically were cooking the entire time, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I had a blast. Would love to do it uh, in the future with more people to taste the food and the drinks. But... Um,
0: and maybe a pit crew to clean the kitchen between...
1: Yeah, that was a nightmare. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think I could see us doing this with like, you know, a couple of other couples or something like that going forward. Maybe we'll do
0: a sweepstakes for our patrons.
1: Right, right.
0: We don't have a patron set up, so don't yeah, don't right. send money anywhere, please.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can. Feel free. It Just know that it won't do anything, you yeah. know.
0: I don't know. I'll color you something, I guess. or right. We can send you some bagels. That That's maybe some 20... We're just yeah.
1: turning into a Fiverr account? Like, <laughs> um,
0: only plans.
1: Well, yeah.
0: No, maybe maybe somewhere down the road we'll set up something like that, but uh, we're we're not quite at the level I think where we can start a, a super saver circle for right. elite <laughs> members. Uh,
1: but if you do want any of the recipes for this stuff, if you saw it and looked good, uh, feel free to DM us. You know, be happy to to send along the recipes. For
0: Appreciate sure. Us. For sure. Yeah, and our our Instagram is accessible to the public. So if you have uh, friends and relatives who don't have Instagram, you can still look at all the fun bakes we've been doing. Um, and we are accessible on on I think seven different platforms now. So Ooh-hoo. yeah. Um, okay, so the unfun part now mm-hmm. is we're gonna go over some of the the things in twenty twenty that were big messes of science communication or huge amounts of disinformation. We're gonna unpack what some of those were, uh, why they bother me so much, and maybe how you can talk to your friends and family about them. So the number one thing is starting way back, if you can remember March, uh, one of the first bits of the coronavirus heavy side, the coronavirus unrolling in the U.S., Um, one of the big things that people talked about is all the back and forth about PPE and masks and do masks work, and if they work so well, why didn't they say so in the beginning, and what's going on with that? And we still, even now, get a lot of people saying, why should I wear my mask? In March, you said not to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is specifically about the regulation PPE that is graded for medical use. Uh, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, in the beginning of this evolving pandemic said, please don't rush out and buy this stuff. Do not use masks. You don't need masks. Um, And that was because we needed to prioritize medical professionals. So there's a really simple Mm -hmm. explanation for why the messaging changed. Part of it is us Uh, better understanding the virus and how it spreads. And part of it is the hope was that by saying, don't snatch up all the masks now, we could cut this thing off before it really got a foothold in the U.S. and we wouldn't have to worry about needing to amass PPE for everyday people. So obviously when the virus did go largely unchecked in the U.S., everybody needed to start wearing PPE and people were resistant because at the beginning there was different information. So, part of this is the nature of our knowledge about science. Uh, We talk about this with Rob Weiner on our episode on science communication. Science is an ongoing process of seeing what works, seeing what fails, um, of suggesting something, seeing if it's right. And, And the part about science that I think people who are not actively participating in the scientific process The part I think that scares people is people will come out with some suggestion or some kind of scientific fact, and then part of science is going back and checking that and rechecking that and checking it under different circumstances to see where it's weak. And so a good sign of a healthy scientific society is retracting things because we learned more. Um, So it's not a sign of bad science that things change and develop over time. It's not a sign that Dr. Fauci doesn't know what he's talking about. Dr. Fauci is uh, working with an ongoing dialogue. So he can't give you an exact transcript because the conversation is still happening. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I will say, I mean, this is one of the things I do have a lot of criticism on as far as the early rollout um, was that, you know, the message was, uh, you don't, don't wear masks, they're not effective, rather than don't wear masks, other people need to get those things too, which I think is, is a different, which is a different message, you know, the, and, it, yeah. it, and it wasn't like, oh, we don't know, it's, it was an unequivocal, like, don't worry about it, this isn't going to help you, and, and, you know, whether the motives were good or bad, you know, I think that at the end of the day, there's a bunch of people who can quote that kind of disingenuously now and say like, Oh, look at the, you know, it's your government lying to you again. Cause they were. Yeah.
0: Well, you I know, think that's, that's, uh, yeah. And this is something that's one of my pet peeves as an educator and as someone who practices science is we started so early in schools where we teach children incomplete things or very wrong things. And the assumption is that as they get older, they'll advance through school and they'll get told the right things. You know, and this goes for, like, how the body works or certain, like, mathematic principles is we teach children, you know, X plus Y always equals this, and then you get to high school, and there's, you know, a whole joke about it. It's like, well, actually, this is never right, or this is always right. And I think there is a way to teach people about science without simplifying it to the point where it's incorrect, I think you can simplify complicated subjects in a way that still holds true. So you don't have to go back and say, remember when we said this? Well, actually, no. Right. Um, you know, it's not some fun magic trick. It's it's the way people understand the world. Um, and if you can't communicate the way the world works, you shouldn't just change that to help people understand because you're helping them understand something that's not real.
1: Well, that's yeah, I mean, that that's it too. Is, it's like... You know, the, the impression that I get is it was more like we're going to lie about masks for everyone's interest, but that always comes back to bite you in the ass in the end.
0: Well, because it turns out no matter your education level, like people know what's in their best interest or people have a sense. Um, I think a lot of things in the pandemic may have undermined that point for me, but In general, when people have information and resources, they make choices that make sense. Yeah. And I think even if the sense that it makes isn't to a point I like, it at least follows some kind of pattern.
1: Well, that's, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think a lot of the anti-mask stuff and a a lot of the vitriol is from a a loud minority of people. I think the vast majority of of people in America don't want, there was the, um, I saw the study they did the other day, where, is it, where it turns out that even in places that have opened back up, right, like uh, economic indicators from bars and restaurants mm-hmm. and, and things like that are still down because people don't want to go out largely, right? People don't want to expose themselves or their families to this. You know, you you don't have to lie to people, I don't think. You don't have to tell them, like, you know, you don't have to hide the ball and then try to cover it back up and say, oh, we were, we were doing that for your interest. You can just tell people stuff. I promise you, you can just tell people things. And the vast majority of people will work with you, right? I think if they had said, hey, uh, we we have a limited supply of this stuff, we're telling everybody to stay home anyway, so what if you just hang out until we've got the production revved up again and then we'll get you a mask? I think that would have been a much better messaging, and I think that would have saved us a lot of uh, unfortunate (laughs) incidents down the road.
0: Right, and I think it speaks to... A lack of trust in each other and a lack of focus on community because so much of this so much of this reopening and throw out all the all the precautions comes from well i as an individual am very healthy and fine or i am a small business owner Mm -hmm. And, and it comes from also a lack of a lack of empathy and a lack of creativity because to me, a small business owner saying, well, the only solution is that we go back to where I was operational is, is a really limited way to think about what the problem is and what the solutions are. No, I,
1: absolutely. But I mean, I think it is also, you know, again, there's a, there, there's a reason that some AIDS activists call, called Fauci the most dangerous man on earth. I mean, there's also, I think, a lot here at the foot of, of elites, for lack of a better word. Um, who thought, you know, we can we can manage this ourselves And, and people don't have to know stuff
0: Right, well, it's, it's the idea that people who are not elites Are children, essentially right. Oh, no, absolutely um, Well, and that's, and that's what I mean by, like, a lack of trust And a lack of community is, is people who have money and power Don't see themselves as part of the community They may see themselves as leading the community Or, right. um, you know, controlling the community But they don't see themselves as part of it and here's the thing about a respiratory illness
1: Right. Yeah.
0: is you're a part of the community well, when it comes a, to public health.
1: Well, it's, it's the same. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the worst version of it, in my opinion, is like Gavin Newsom getting together with you know, 50 different health experts at that party or whatever. At the New Year's party? No, this was before. This was a couple months ago, maybe not. I don't know. Time's a flat circle. Uh, but no, they, there was that picture somebody took of him with like, I don't think it was 50. I think it was like 15 or 20 people. It, uh, but, you know, it was in a, somebody's really nice California house, and it's him and a bunch of people from the, like, California Board of Health all partying because none of these people, you know, I mean, it's the same as, or Nancy Pelosi going to her hairdresser, or, you know, or you all the crap that, um, Cuomo's done you know it's just people who would like to tell you what to do but uh and should I, I mean and that's and and they should right like the state should control people's behavior right now I'm not trying to imply that they shouldn't but also you know all of our leaders should do the same crap that they're expecting us to do
0: right well and I, I think they have an even higher burden because I I know like we've had to turn down different relatives yeah. and and the thing is that you are capable of rationalizing almost anything anything can feel safe if you want it bad enough and you, you know, talk yourself up enough. Right. And it's just not like the, the answer is that we shouldn't be indoors with people that aren't in our household. And the more we can do to limit that, the better it is. Um, and it's frustrating to see people who have all the resources to test and retest and book a private Island circle. Uh, you know, you can, you can bend the rules because it's just for you. It's just for your family and you trust your family and, you know, they're responsible. But that that's the thing is nobody's exempt from this because, again, it's a respiratory illness and it doesn't care how good you've been or how smart you are.
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's that's a lot of my frustration, too, as you look at people who have not gotten any, you know, people who don't get to work from home, people who don't get to avoid the exposure. Right. So if I'm just, you know, some guy who works at, at uh, Walmart or whatever Right. And I have to go every single day to Walmart because I'm essential to go make nine bucks an hour or whatever the hell it is being around everybody on the planet and exposed to God knows what. And then you're telling me I'm not I'm the bad guy if I go to the bar okay. after work to, to grab a beer, The what used to be, you know, the one the one distraction from that life. Now I can't have it. and I'm I'm the bad guy if I have it. But no, it's fine. Gavin Newsom gets to go to a, you know, six-course dinner party with the Board of Health. The
0: height of decadence, a six-course dinner. Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) No, I'm just saying, like, I mean, it's it's absurd. Like, no wonder people, a certain segment of people are just over it. You know, it's not, it's not just QAnon, not jobs. It's a lot of people who just don't, they're just done. They're just done with all this shit. And they're done being told that they have to accept exposure. and they're the, But they're the bad guys. If they do anything that they used to enjoy doing.
0: Well, especially, you know, you're a target employee. You're essential. You're working a nine hour shift with, you know, dozens of people. And you're told you can't go have Christmas with like two or three of your relatives. Right. Right. I mean, that's nuts. Um, And I I think it's also like there's a fundamental misunderstanding about why people are getting it more than others when we break it down by race and class and gender. And and so much of it is I remember early on, there was this thing about millennials are getting it more than, you know, older, more at risk people. And the solution that they said in the article, the way they pitched it was, well, obviously, it's because millennials are out partying and they're. (laughs) At college, having fun, and, like, older people are taking it more seriously. And what it was when you actually looked at the numbers is millennials are in their late 20s to 40s. Like, uh, millennials are old people now. And I say that as an old millennial. That's because
1: everybody's working out. Yeah, they're working.
0: They were were all employed in the service industry. (laughs) Right? So so people aren't getting it because they're out partying, largely. They're getting it in the beginning because they had to work. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's there's some interesting parallels. Uh, when I was getting my master's, I studied HIV transmission and uh, STI, sexually transmitted infections in general. And one of the things that was so frustrating is part of the spread is manipulation where your partner will say, we don't need to use condoms because I trust you, or we don't need to use condoms because we are responsible. And when you make a disease about individual responsibility or individual strength or individual goodness, when you you associate a disease with being good and responsible versus it's a disease and it does not care who you are, you know, the most like careful person can get exposed to an STI. And that's the problem with stigma is not just that the person with the condition feels ostracized. It's that people assume that if, if you love and trust someone, they can't possibly have a disease. And that's just not how diseases work. Diseases do not care.
1: No. No, not at all. I mean, and that's what, I don't know. That's what sucks about all of us. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. Uh,
0: and I know, I know I'm guilty of this myself because there are people in my life who have gone out to parties and gotten COVID. And I thought, well, Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's how it works in a pandemic and so part of me is like okay but you know you know what no I'm still real mad I'm still really mad
1: well yeah I mean because
0: you know who else probably got COVID the people who had to work that right. party
1: yeah the people right, people serving and people yeah yeah I mean but it's all you know it's always sort of a flat circle a little bit um just in, in the sense of it's I, again, you talked about, you know, it's irresponsible for somebody to go to a New Year's yeah. Eve party, right? But, like, if that same person has been working at a bar for the last nine months, you know, what was that? Right? What was that? What was yeah. that if not the most irresponsible thing you can do? Except they have to. Everybody has to because people have to work because our government decided we didn't want to provide for you and would rather let you die. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to is here's the thing about staying home is you need to afford your rent to do it and right. you need to have food to do it. Right. And here's the thing about where we live now is you have to go outside into the world and work to do
1: that. Right. I mean, you, you and I have been relatively blessed in that we've had a, a, the ability largely to um, stay home or stay isolated, or, you know stay away from people as much as possible while working and, and while earning a living. Uh, But yeah, not everybody has that luxury. And then, you know, again, I I don't have it in me really to say to, you know, somebody who, like you said, has been working at Target this whole time, you know, I don't have it in me to blame them for going to Christmas. You know, I just don't, I don't have it. I Reserve reserve your hatred for Mitch McConnell, everyone. That's what you should be doing.
0: (laughs) We can just focus it enough. We can
1: all focus our rage. Exactly. Right. Give me my goddamn check, Mitch. (laughs)
0: so okay so that was the first thing yeah the PPE was the first thing I wanted to talk about so let's move on to the second thing I want to talk about which is also going to make me very angry and ranty Mm. which is that 99% of people survive COVID sure and that's been something trotted out since the beginning which ignores the fact that death rates. Change, uh, it ignores the ICU capacity, it ignores regional differences, it ignores racial differences, class differences. Okay,
1: whatever. That's, I mean, and that's still 3.3 million people in the United States alone.
0: Right, because here's (laughs) the thing about 99%, that's one out of every hundred. So if you were to tell me that one out of every hundred Americans was going to die, you would think that would be a national emergency. Right. Like, so even if you take it at its face value, which you shouldn't, mm-hmm. even if you did, that's horrific.
1: Yes. Um, sorry. I'm doing I'm doing some I'm doing I'm doing some quick math on my phone here. Uh, One percent of people dying from COVID, say, over the course of even two years is four and a half thousand people every day. <laughs> that's two 9-11s a day. If, if in fact it is one percent of the population dies of COVID. Um and the worst And that's part. not even true. <laughs> right. Not even a true number. right. So
0: here like and this is like you have to start with people who have really hooked in to misinformation. You have to start with what they believe to be true, and then you have to talk through that and how they come to those numbers and why they trust those numbers and not other numbers. Um, but even believing the 99%. That is one out of every hundred person on this planet, and that's insane. And just trying to wrap your head around the scale of that is insane.
1: Um, um, well, and, and if I may, real quick, I mean, it ignores the idea of you know, death's not the only thing that can happen to you from COVID, right? There was a guy named Eduardo Rodriguez. He pitches for the Boston Red Sox. He's uh, in his I think mid late twenties. He's a professional athlete. Uh, he throws about a hundred miles an hour. He's, you know, a pretty in shape guy. He did not play baseball at all this year because he got COVID early and developed a heart condition that he might never play professional baseball ever again. You know, Miles Garrett, he's a defensive lineman for the Browns. Uh, he is about 6'6", 240, like just this monster of a human being in better shape than I have ever been in or will ever be. And, you know, listeners, better shape than probably most of you would ever be in you know uh, just the the you know what's the twitter joke this is peak male physical form or whatever oh my god uh but like absolutely like a a monster of a guy uh who got covid all you know said he felt like he was gonna die and is still almost a what a month and a half six weeks or so later is still not 100 percent. he's playing football again but like He's not who he used to be. He's worried he's never going to be the the guy he used to be again. Other stuff can happen to you. Right.
0: Well, and it's also not... So a lot of the other rhetoric is like, well, it only affects people with pre-existing conditions or the elderly. And I have news for you. That is like 80% of all Americans. Most of us have at least one chronic condition. And people over... What it, What is the number? They, they've they changed it every once in a while. At first it was like 60 are at high risk, then 70, then 80. Whatever, sorry, we've all seen Gracie and Frankie. There's a lot of life that happens after 70. Wait, right. old
1: people are still people, you assholes. Right,
0: no, like I, I know you tried very hard to hesitate, but like that's fair. Like yeah. here's the thing, is like two or three good years is still two or three good years. You can't just put people out on the ice floor. that's bad. And it's kind of wild that I'm, like, on Facebook yelling at people I went to high school with that, like, you should maybe care that people with cancer treatment are compromised.
1: Right. Christ, imagine fighting for the last bits of your life and then having to deal with these assholes. But remember, remember uh, that, uh, you know, take, if I can take you back to 2010, um, remember how all of these people were the same sorry, ones. I'm,
0: sorry, I'm imagining studded belts. Right. Lip gloss.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, remember remember when they first passed Obamacare, these were all the same people uh talking about how, you know, the government was going to institute death panels, right? Barack Obama was going to kill your grandma because they were going to ration health care uh. and not provide it to the elderly. Remember that? These are the same people. These are the same people. Now we are just like, "No, it's actually fine that grandma dies because I need to the I economy. need the, I need I need the I need the service class to wait on me." In a way that I'm used to, so it's actually okay that your grandmother is going to die, right? Because I mean that's what it is. That's where this messaging is coming from. It's unfortunate, as always, that it's being repeated by its very victims. But it is, uh, you know, at the risk of becoming the guy from from Monty Python, it is about class, and it is about, yeah, you know, these. This is only, you know, it was it was death panels and all that that crap when it uh, didn't inconvenience them to use that rhetoric. But now that they might not be able to get a haircut or whatever, uh, now that they can't make you work for them, now, uh, sorry, we gotta kill your grandmother to open the bars.
0: But also, you know, in a funny way, reminds me of uh, when the alt-right was going mainstream, one of the first articles was like, Oh, like the new Republican is is a dapper fascist was like right. one of the headlines, and it was about yeah. how like all of these Uber. Cons- this is like way back when yeah, I'm yeah, dating yeah. myself, but I remember that. So maybe that's part of it. Is they're like, oh no, if our, if our fades grow out, they're gonna know we're Nazis.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know. It, everything's so weird. It's interesting what's happening with Josh Hawley trying to be you know, populist about the $2,000 checks now. Um, right. I mean, I, th- I think there's a segment of the Republican Party that's waking up to the idea that, you know, mass murdering their constituents may not be good politics necessarily. Um, but even then, I mean, you know, even then everything's gerrymandered to hell and nothing's ever going to get done. And we, we're, <laughs> we live in hell and uh, these people are going to be around. I mean, and these people are going to be around for the next crisis too. You know, whether it's another pandemic, whether it's a hurricane or a tornado or whatever, remember, these are the same people I going to be
0: around. I think this is our spiciest and bleakest episode yet. Um, but I, I feel like it is a good representation of what's been going on in 2020 and also like how, as a scientist and a lawyer, we are looking at this year and very concerned.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think there's hope and I'll tell you why. And we okay. can we can um, you can dunk on me on Twitter with this clip forever as, as we defend, descend into fascism. But the, the the reason I think there's hope is is what this whole experience has done. I mean, remember, a lot of this rhetoric, I think, is coming from a, a small minority, you know, uh, most people are in favor of masks. Most people are in favor of distancing. Most people don't want to go out. Most people recognize the risks that this virus is posing. Most people recognize, you know, the need for stimulus that the government has certainly not provided to its constituents and, and in so doing recognize the responsibility that the state has to care for its citizens in a time of crisis. And I think the universality of the virus and again, feel free to just absolutely dunk on me here. But I think the universality of the virus has opened the eyes of a lot of people who were previously so comfortable that no social crisis could impact them. And has opened their eyes to the necessity of, you know, government providing social goods and government providing support in, in times of emergency as just a thing that we should be doing and and a sense of outrage that we're not doing it. Right. I mean, the the $2,000 stimulus is one of the most popular things that's ever been proposed in Congress in our lifetimes and it hasn't happened. Right. I mean, Medicare for all, you know, through the pandemic has been an incredibly popular policy proposal, you know, that, that hasn't been happening. And, And I think this is hopefully, my, my cause for hope is that this is a, a wake-up call to a lot of people about how politics in this country actually works, who is in charge of stuff, and you know what, what needs to fundamentally be changed about this country if we are to move forward. And then the question is, does anybody have the muscle to do it? I don't know, but I'm, I'm more hopeful about how people are thinking than I was, uh, honestly, before this, as, as weird as that is to say.
0: I no, I get that, and I think I get that in a weird analogy, which is that the pandemic for me reminds me a lot of social media, in that it is something everyone is experiencing at the same time, and it's exposed us in real time to how other people are living their lives and yeah. how these systems that might work for us don't work for other people, and we get to see that very real and viscerally. Um, and I think I think people have been kind of chewing on this kind of... Uh, I think each generation with social media has gotten more politically active in the U.S. Yeah. But I think this pandemic really highlights and really forces us to deal with the ways that things have not been working for most people for a long time. Yes. <laughs> and I think that puts us at... A transition point and transition, particularly when there are power differentials, is an interesting time to live through, mm. to say the least.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, on the other hand, we might all find out what it was like to live in Rome in the four hundreds. I don't know. You
0: know. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I've met other people who reference Rome as often as you do.
1: Well. Uh, we live in a decaying empire. I don't have a better reference point.
0: But importantly, <laughs> I learned to layer drinks this yes. year. Yes. Hey. Yeah. We
1: all we all learned some skills, maybe. And if you didn't, that's fine. Who cares?
0: We have a lot more to talk about. I'm increasingly concerned this is going to be a three-part episode because mm-hmm. we're on like bullet point two of my list.
1: Well, we can skip. Some or go back to some. I don't
0: know. You don't want to rehash all of 2020 with me?
1: We can. You know, it's up to you. Fair enough.
0: I do want to end on some bright spots. So, part of the reason that we started this podcast is we believe in science communication, we believe in legal education. Mm-hmm. We think that science is not being relayed to us as well as it could be. Yeah. And hey, what if? It were easier to understand really complicated topics. Yeah. And also, when you're understanding those incredibly dark and complicated topics, what if you had a brownie?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's um, that's pretty much the whole the whole deal.
0: Uh, so we're gonna be back next week with a part two, potentially a part three. We'll see. Yeah,
1: I'm down. I'm down for a part three. I don't need <laughs> to say that I'm not.
0: But we're gonna we're gonna end this uh, in just a little bit. Um, I do want to say our podcast appreciates all of the listeners we've had, all the feedback we've gotten. Uh, we're gonna end this two to three part series, and that'll be our first season. And then we're gonna come back in about a month with some new interviews, some new guests. We have some really exciting stuff coming down. Yeah, I'm
1: looking forward to it.
0: I'm I'm geeking out a little bit. I forget that if you're not a big nerd, that people who write books are not, like, your celebrities, but every time I talk to someone that has written, like, an article I admire, I act like I have just (laughs) met, like, Brad Pitt, which is not a topical reference.
1: Yeah, well, it's close enough. I feel people get
0: it. Timothy Chalet? Is he popular? Timothy Chalet.
1: That's not his name.
0: What's his name?
1: Chalamet, I think. I don't know. I'm not. I've never been cool. So.
0: Harry Styles. He is an easy name. So I <laughs> act like I've just met Harry Styles.
1: Sure. No, but seriously, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it very much. Uh, stay safe. Stay stay healthy as best you can. Um, remember, the law is only as real as we all decide it is. And uh, happy Pre- New Year. Preheat
0: your, Pre- your ovens. It does matter. Preheat
1: your ovens. It does matter. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And we'll see you soon. Yes, we will.